Hello and welcome to another edition of Maplewood Barn Radio Theater, brought to you in conjunction with KBIA. Tonight we bring you a little Christmas treat from Stephen Leacock. Mr. Leacock, one of the most famous comic writers of the early 1900s throughout the English-speaking world, and his humor heavily influenced vaudeville comedians, including Jack Benny, who was introduced to Leacock's work by Groucho Marx. The writers of this show have shamelessly reused his work in several radio shows, as we will do again this evening. But it's always better to let Mr. Leacock tell his own stories, and so we will turn it over to him as Maplewood Barn Radio Theater presents a couple of Christmas stories by Stephen Leacock. The first is one we call The Old Homestead. It was Xmas. Xmas with its mantle of white snow scintillating from a thousand diamond points. Xmas with its good cheer, its peace on earth. Xmas with its feasting and merriment. Xmas with its... Well, anyway, it was Xmas. Or no... That's not right. It wasn't exactly Xmas. It was Xmas Eve. Xmas Eve with its mantle of white snow lying beneath the calm moonlight. And in fact, with practically all of the above-mentioned circumstances, with a few obvious emendations. Yes, it was Xmas Eve. And more than that, listen to where it was Xmas. Well, Anna... It's Xmas Eve here on the old homestead. Listener, do you know the old homestead? The old homestead that stands beside the road just on the rise of the hill with its dark spruce trees wrapped in snow, the snug barns and the straw stacks behind it, while from its windows there streams a shaft of light from a coal oil lamp. Do you not turn, I say, sometimes, dear listener, from the roar and hustle of the city with its ill-gotten wealth and its godless creed of mammon to think of the quiet homestead under the brow of the hill? You don't? Well, you skunk. Yes, John, it is Xmas Eve here on the old homestead. The lights shone from the windows of the homestead farm. There sits old John Enderby beside the plain table his head bowed upon his hands, his grizzled face with its unshorn stubble stricken down with the lines of devastating trouble. From time to time he rose and cast a fresh stick on the tamarack into the fire with a savage thud that sent a shower of sparks up the chimney. Across the fireplace sat his wife Anna on a straight-backed chair, looking into the fire with the mute resignation of her sex. What is wrong with them anyway? Ah, listener, can you even wonder? Do you remember so little about life on the old homestead? When I've said that it was the old homestead and Xmas Eve and that the farmer is in great trouble and throwing wood at the fire, surely you ought to guess. Oh, why did I mortgage the old homestead? What a fool I was. But, John, you had no choice. We were neck deep in debt. You were crazed with remorse, mad with despair, and persecuted with rheumatism. Yes, Anna, but where will I ever get $24.30 to keep the wolves at bay? The mortgage is due tonight at midnight, on Xmas night. Yes, tonight the mortgage fell due. Tonight at midnight, Xmas night. 
This is how mortgages in stories like this are always drawn up, with such diabolical skill that on this night of all nights, the mortgage would be foreclosed. At midnight, the men would come with hammer and nails and foreclose it, nail it up tight. So the afflicted couple sat. John, leave the buttermilk alone. It only maddens you. No good ever came of it. It burns your brain like fire. Aye, <laughs> lass. What do I care if it maddens me? Ah, oh, John, you'd be better employed in reading the good book than in getting lit up on buttermilk. Here, take it, Father, and read it. Take the book. Read, John, in this hour of affliction. It brings comfort. Yes, dear. What an angel you are. Let's see. Ah, the angles at the base of an isosceles triangle are equal, and whosoever shall produce the sides, lo, the same shall also be equal each unto each other. Wait a minute. This is Euclid's Elements, you silly woman. It is still a good book. Oh, it's no use, Anna. I can't read tonight. But I believe I will help myself to another drop of that buttermilk. It's gone, John. You have drunk it all. And I mean drunk it all. Let them foreclose. I'm past caring. The woman looked sadly into the fire. Ah, uh, if only our son Henry was here. He left us three years ago. Yes, but his bright letters still brought a gleam of hope to our stricken farmhouse from time to time. I wish he would come home. He's in Sing Sing prison. Still, his letters bring news of steady success. First, as captain of the prison baseball team, a favorite with his wardens and the chaplain, and then as the best backgammon player in the cell block. Henry is pushing his way to the top. The top of the prison? Oh, stop it, John. You are feeling the buttermilk. I had hoped that he might join us here at Xmas, but he wrote that it was practically impossible for him to leave Sing Sing. He could not see his way out. The authorities are arranging a dance and sleighing party for a Xmas celebration. Henry hopes to slip away unnoticed, but said this might excite attention. You haven't told Henry about our trouble here at home. No, of course not. And what of our other son, William, who sallied forth from the homestead to make his fortune in the great city? Where is William in our time of need? Father, you know what William said when he left that he would not return until he made a million dollars, and poof, he was gone. A million dollars, ha! Oh, but how my heart beats for him. Will he make that million dollars? Will we ever live to see it? I doubt it. Years have passed, and William has not come. That, that is, he has come not. The great city has swallowed him up, as it has many other lads from old homesteads. What was that at the door? There was a face, a woman's face looking into the firelit room with pleading eyes. What was it she bore in her arms, the little bundle that she held tight to her breast to shield it from the falling snow? Can you guess, dear listener? Try three guesses and see. Right you are. That's what it was. The farmer's wife went hastily to the door. Lord's mercy! What are you doing out on such a night? Come in, child, to the fire. The woman entered, carrying the little bundle with her and looking with wide eyes. They were at least an inch and a half across at Enderby and his wife. There is no wedding ring on her hand. What's your name, girl? 
My name is Caroline. I, I want shelter. I want you to take the child. Yes, give it to me. I will make it comfortable. Oh, dear girl, you are half frozen. We don't have much to offer, but there are some donuts that are only a few days old, and you can wash them down with water. Here, eat and warm yourself. I'll have no child like that here. John, John, remember what the good book says. Things which are equal to the same thing are equal to one another. Yes, it is as you say. And why had Caroline no wedding ring? Ah, listener, can you not guess? Well, you can't. It wasn't what you think at all. So there. Tell us your story, Caroline. You must have noticed that I have no wedding ring, but not for the reason you might think. No, I threw it away in bitterness as I tramped the streets of the great city. Why should the wife of a man in the penitentiary wear a ring? Then I went forth with the child from what had been my home. It was the old sad story. I knew I could not properly care for the baby alone as I was, so I took the baby and laid it tenderly, gently, on a seat in the park. Then I walked rapidly away. A few minutes later, a man chased me down with the little bundle in his arms and said, I beg your pardon, I think you left your baby in the park. So I thanked him and fled in desperation. How sad, how very melancholy. Next, I took the baby to the Grand Central Railroad waiting room, kissed it tenderly, and laid it on a shelf behind the lunch counter. After a few minutes, an official, beaming with satisfaction, brought it back to me. I thanked him and fled. My, you had your share of problems. Oh, that's nothing. Then I left it at the desk at the Waldorf Astoria and at the ticket office of the subway. It always came back. Yet I knew it didn't stand a chance if it stayed with me. Oh, it was horrible. There, there, dear. Have another donut. Thank you. Finally, I decided to bring the child to the country. At first, I was going to leave it on the wayside. But something in the way the little bundle lay covered in the snow appealed to my mother's heart. And I just couldn't do it. So I picked it up and harnessed my energy to keep going. Somewhere, I thought, I shall find a door of kindness open to us. Soon after, I came upon this old homestead, and you have saved us. Anna, with true woman's kindness, asked no more questions. She put the baby carefully away in a trunk, saw Caroline safely to a bed in the best room, and returned to her seat by the fire. The old clock struck twenty minutes past eight. Again, a knock sounded at the door. Lawyer Perkins. John Enderby, can you pay? Lawyer Perkins, give me time and I will. So help me, give me five years more and I'll clear this debt to the last cent. John, I couldn't, even if I would. These things are not what they were. It's a big New York corporation. Pincham and Company, that makes these loans, and they take their money on the day, or they sell you up. I can't help it. So, there's your notice, John, and I am sorry. I'll take a little drop of buttermilk if you have it, though. Foreclosing on Xmas night is cold work. Mm, sorry, we're all out of buttermilk. I could get you an icy glass of water with a little snow in it. No, thanks. I'll be going now. John sat brooding in his chair. 
The fire flickered down. The clock continued to tick off the minutes, and Enderby, who was restless, picked a lantern off its hook and said, Well, mortgage or no mortgage, I must see to the livestock. Yes, John, it may be the last time. I will say goodbye to the animals for you. Kiss the pigs, fondle the turkeys, and pet the barn mice. Oh, oh, it's all so sad. And with that, John Enderby stepped teary-eyed into the yard. He looked over the snow to the cedar swamp beyond, with the lights of the village far away in the distance. Little did he know that down in the swamp, two miles away, there moved a sleigh, and in it was a man dressed in a sealskin coat and silk hat. Round the man's waist was a belt containing a million dollars in gold coin, and as he halted his sleigh in an open field by the side of the road, he unstrapped the belt and counted the coins. Beside him in the bushes, at the edge of the swamp road, was a man with eyes that watched the glitter of the coins and a hand that grasped a heavy cudgel of blackthorn. It was a man whose close-cropped hair and hard-lined face belonged in Sing Sing. When the sleigh started again, the man in the bushes followed doggedly in its track. Meanwhile, John Enderby made the rounds of his outbuildings. He said goodbye to the pigs. Goodbye, Susie. Goodbye, Gloria. Goodbye, Gustav. He fondled the turkeys and would have petted the barn mice, but they seemed shy on this Xmas night. When he returned to the house, a sleigh was standing by the roadside. John, a stranger came while you were in the barn. He wanted lodging for the night, a city man, I reckon, judging by his sealskin coat. I couldn't refuse him on a night like this. I put him in William's room. He must have been exhausted from his travels. He threw himself on the bed with hardly a word and went right to sleep. Aye, we can't refuse a stranger on a night like this. And the couple resumed their vigil by the fire. In the room upstairs, the man with the sealskin coat muttered to himself. How it all comes back to me. The same old room. Nothing changed. Except them. How worn and old they look. Yes, It is just the same as when I left 15 years ago, headed to the great city to implement my idea of the Farm Investment Company, a simple system of applying the crushing power of capital to exact the utmost penny from farm loans. And now here, I'm back again, true to my word, with a million dollars in my belt. (sighs) Tomorrow I will tell them. It will be Xmas. Then William... Yes, dear listener, it was William, in case you were paying attention earlier, fell fast asleep. The hours passed and kept passing. It was 11.30. There was a noise at the door. Henry, you're here. Yes, it is I, Mother. True to my word, I I slipped away at the height of the Xmas. Festivities. Alas, Henry, you came at an unlucky hour. Yes, there's a mortgage on the farm, and they're coming to foreclose at midnight. Yes, we don't even have a bed to offer you. Two strangers have arrived this evening, a stricken woman with a baby and a rich man in the sealskin coat. Both of them asked for shelter from the storm, and we could not refuse. A sealskin coat? 
By heaven, father, I have it. Speak low, father. This man upstairs, you're sure he had a sealskin coat? Yes. Father, I saw a man in a sleigh down by the cedar swamp, and he was wearing a sealskin coat. He had money strapped in a belt, and he stopped to count it. Five dollar gold pieces in all one million one hundred and twenty five thousand four hundred and sixty five dollars and a dime. I think I see where you're going with this. We'll choke him. Or beat him senseless and then we'll pay the mortgage. Henry, my dear, dear Henry, I knew you would find a way. Come on, bring the lamp, mother, and grab your cudgel, father. And gaily, but with hushed voices, the three stole up the stairs. The stranger lay sunk in sleep. The back of his head was turned toward them as they came in. Now, hold the lamp a little nearer, just behind the ear, I think, Henry. No, uh, across the jaw, Father. It's quicker and neater. Well, well, have it your own way, lad. You know best. See the wonderful things he learned in prison, Mother? Henry raised the club, but as he did so, wait, what was that? Far away beyond the cedar swamp, the deep booming of the bell of the village church began to strike out midnight. From the farmyard chicken coop, a rooster began to crow, while the loud lowing of the cattle and the soft cooing of the hogs seemed to... One moment, please. Would you please be quiet? Thank you. Seemed to usher in the morning of Xmas with its message of peace and goodwill. The club fell from Henry's hand. The sleeper awoke and sat up. Father! Mother! My son! My son! We guessed it was you. We came to wake you. Yes, it is I, and I have brought the million dollars. Here it is. Thank heaven. Our troubles are at an end. This money will pay off the mortgage, and the greed of Pincham and Company cannot harm us now. The farm was mortgaged? Aye, mortgaged to men who have no conscience, whose greedy hands nearly brought us to the grave. See how your mother has aged, my boy? Uh, father, uh, <clears throat> I am... Pincham and Company. Oh, heaven help me. I see it now. I see the suffering I have caused while making my fortune. I will give it all back, these million dollars, to those I have wronged. No. You repent, dear son, with true Christian repentance. That is enough. You may keep the money. We will look upon it as a trust, a sacred trust. And every time we spend a dollar of it on ourselves, we will think of it as a trust. Yes. Your mother is right. The money is a trust, and we will restock the farm with it, buy out the Jones property next door, and consider the whole thing a trust. Who is that woman in mother's homespun nightgown? Excuse me. I heard your voices. Ah, oh, my husband. Caroline? Can it be my wife? You have left Sing Sing? Yes, Caroline. I will Sing Sing. No more. Gaily, the reunited family descended. Anna carried the lamp, 
Henry carried the club and William carried the million dollars. Let's break out the buttermilk and drink a toast. But, John, I thought we were out of buttermilk. I had an extra crock hidden under the staircase. The fire roared again upon the hearth. The buttermilk circulated from hand to hand. William and Henry told and retold the story of their adventures. The first streak of the Xmas morn fell through the window pane. Ah, my sons, henceforth let us stick to the narrow path. What is it that the good book says? A straight line is that which lies evenly between its extreme points. Yes, let us put our trust in the Lord. But first, let us put our trust in the bank. And so ends the touching story of the old homestead, with John and Anna soon discovering that the banks are not open on Xmas Day. But wait, dear listener, I am not done with you yet. There is another Christmas story yet to be told. It is the story of Hoodoo McFiggin, and it shows how this whole Santa Claus custom is played out. It is a sneaking, underhand business, and the sooner it's exposed, the better. For a parent to get up under cover of the darkness and palm off a ten-cent necktie on a boy who had been expecting a ten-dollar watch and then say that a Christmas elf sent it to him is low, undeniably low. I had a good opportunity of observing how the whole thing worked last Christmas in the case of young Hoodoo McFiggin, the son and heir of the McFiggins, at whose house I board. Hoodoo is a good boy. He had been told by his mother... Santa Claus will not bring anything to your father and I because grown-up people don't get presents from the elves. That's no fair, Mama. You get penalized for being an adult. I'm afraid that's the way Santa Claus works. Well, since Santa won't bring you anything, I'll save up all my pocket money and try to get something nice for you and Papa. He was such a kind boy. So he scrimped and saved and wound up with enough to buy a box of cigars for his father and a 75-cent diamond brooch for his mother. His own fortunes he left in the hands of jolly old Saint Nick. So he prayed. He prayed every night for weeks. I pray that Santa Claus will bring me a pair of skates and a puppy dog and an air gun and a bicycle and a Noah's Ark and a sleigh and a drum. Altogether, it was about $150 worth of stuff. I went into Hoodoo's room early on Christmas morning. I woke him up and he shot out of bed, his eyes glistening with radiant expectation, and began hauling things out of his stocking. The first parcel was bulky. It was done up quite loosely and had an odd look generally. <laughs> I bet it's a puppy dog all wrapped up in paper. And was it a puppy dog? No, by no means. It was a pair of nice, strong boots, laces and all. It's a pair of boots. Yes, but they look like a nice, sturdy pair of boots. And look, they even have laces. The tag says, To Hoodoo, from Santa Claus. And look on the sole. It says 95 cents. Well, let's see what else is in my stocking. He hauled another parcel out of this stocking with renewed hope on his face. This time it was a little round box. Hoodoo tore the paper off of it with a feverish hand. It's a watch and chain. It's a watch and chain. And was it a watch and chain? No. 
It was a box of nice, brand-new celluloid collars, a dozen of them all alike and all his size. The boy was so pleased that you could see his face crack up with pleasure. He waited a few minutes until his intense joy subsided. Then he tried again. This time the packet was long and hard and had a sort of funnel shape. I bet it's a toy pistol. Oh, gee, I hope there's a lot of caps with it. I'll fire off some and wake up father. (laughs) No, my poor child, you will not wake up your father with that. It is a useful thing, but it needs not caps and it fires no bullets. You cannot wake a sleeping man with a toothbrush. Yes, it was a toothbrush. A real beauty, pure bone all through. The tag says to hoodoo from Santa Claus. Again, the expression of intense joy passed over the boy's face, and tears of gratitude started in his eyes. He wiped them away with his toothbrush and passed on. The next packet was much larger and evidently contained something soft and bulky. It was too long to go into the stocking and was tied outside. I wonder what this is. Well, go ahead. Open it. I bet it's a drum. It's a drum all wrapped up. (sighs) Drum my foot. It was pants. A pair of the nicest little short pants. Yellowish brown short pants with little stripes of color running along it in both ways. And here again, Santa Claus had written on the tag, To Hoodoo from Santa Claus. And the label inside says two dollars. But there's something wrapped up inside of it. Oh, yes. It looks like a pair of braces sewn into the pants. Yes. Braces with a little steel sliding thing so I can slide my pants up to my neck if I need to. Well... Take a look at your last present. It might be something, something more fun. It's a book. I wonder if it's fairy stories or adventures. Oh, I hope it's adventures. I'll read it all morning. No, Hoodoo. It was not exactly adventures. It was a small family Bible. Hoodoo had now seen all his presents, and he rose and got dressed. Well... I can still have fun playing with all my new toys. Yes, that is always the most delightful part of Christmas morning. First, I'll play with my toothbrush. He got a whole bowl of water and brushed all his teeth with it. This was quite amusing. Now I can play with my celluloid collars. He had no end of fun with them, taking them all out one by one and swearing at them, and then putting them back in the box and swearing at the whole lot together. My next toy is my new pants. He had immense fun there, putting them on and taking them off again, and then trying to guess which side was which by merely looking at them. And then there is my new book. And he read some adventures called Genesis until breakfast time. Then Hoodoo went downstairs and kissed his father and mother. His father was smoking one of his new cigars, and his mother had her new brooch on. Hoodoo's face was thoughtful, and he seemed to have come to certain conclusions. Indeed, I think it's likely that next Christmas he will hang on to his money and take his chances on what the elves are bringing. During this holiday season, we here at the Maplewood Barn Radio Theater would like to leave you with this thought from Stephen Leacock. At Christmas time, it is normally best to buy your own presents. That way, you will always get precisely what you want. Thanks for joining us this evening for our audio presentation of A Very Leacock Christmas. Our players in the show were Jeff Martin as Leacock, John was portrayed by Brad Buchanan, while Maggie Hansen played Anna, 
Their sons, William and Henry, were Matt Davis and Byron Scott, who was also Lawyer Perkins, while Caroline was played by Joy Jackson. In the second story, Hoodoo McFiggins was portrayed by Matt Davis and Joy Jackson was his mother. The show was engineered by Darren Hellwedge and adapted for radio by Brad Buchanan. Amy Humphrey and Joe Hayes did the post-production. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you'll tune in again next week at the same time for another classic story right here on KBIA. Peace on Earth and goodwill toward all from Maplewood Barn Radio Theater. Music